This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 114 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have a group of guys who love their horses, and they know how to have fun with them, too. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, girlfriend Jen, today. We're going to talk about the boys. How are you, Jen? <laughs> the battle of the sexes today. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun show. We. It seems like the horse biz is so female-centric, which is not a bad thing. So <laughs> it's, it's kind of cool that we got two fellows on the show this time. I know. I thought I'd put them together, you know, um, because they're, and they're both fun loving guys too. I really, I really like them. Now I, I must say though, um, Wrangler Rick was, is very new to horses, but he is a very mature man too. And I had to loosen him up a little bit because, you know, he was like, Oh, I have to be a horse expert. No, you don't. You just have to tell us how you have fun with horses. So, um, we had some fun and, and actually dad, Monty Roberts did a little bit of the interview with him for that. That was fun I to figured too. I this is going to be our yeah. boys will be boys episode. All right. Boys so. will be boys. Yes. Boys now, do, do you have any mischievous geldings at your farm? They get into mischief. Uh, I, let's ask it the other way around. Do we have any that are not? Oh, I think so. I think, oh, I love geldings. Don't you? Don't you love geldings? Oh, I have, I have no problem at all geldings, but here's the problem. Um, worked on breeding farms for many years, uh, the big, large-scale ones. So we had zillions of mares everywhere. I don't. Mares have a different outlook on life. They don't. They make us a little bit miserable when we're trying to compete them. But they're not taking their halters off of each other. They're not playing lip tag. They're not opening gates. That just doesn't happen in the mares' world. Why is that? It's true. Well, we're all business. I think mayors, <laughs> I think right. we're all business. You know, we, we have a job to do. We're professionals here. We're the moms. We're the, you know, we're, we're the ones that run the show, right? Maybe. <laughs> we're the matriarchs. We're the, yeah. And I think Geldy's like all the pressure's off. They're like the middle child or something. Like, you know, there's no high expectations. Oh my and, gosh, that's funny. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and they're just, they're just out to entertain themselves, I think. Oh yeah. They, those are the ones that just yeah they find the stuff to get into they've got the thing around their leg and they're dragging it around somebody else is pulling on it yeah, pretty much. <laughs> i love geldings pretty much hey i got a quick question for you yeah you guys bring in untouched horses of either mustang or frequently rescue horses or otherwise untouched horses for your various and sundry clinics whenever you choose those horses or whenever you get those horses in and, and request them from your supplier do you ever specify you want would prefer mares or geldings or uh, in different situations uh not i mean stallions if we we specify that they please you know avoid um, that do something about that yeah Yeah. (laughs) do something about that before you bring them because a lot of times it'll be maybe a hoarder situation where somebody has turned over a bunch of horses and Mm -hmm. so we do have uh choices Mm -hmm. across the the board there and so we'll take them if they've been gelded for a week and a half or something we'll take them but not not specifically we really we really do just look for healthy, not lactating, not pray, yeah. you know, any, anything like that, that will be good for our, our students that we think we can do some good for in a matter of four weeks or six weeks or something mm-hmm. like that too. That does I mean, that can be the highest challenge too. That doesn't sound like a long time, but you should see these advanced students. They're, they're amazing and they can do a heck of a lot with the facilities that we have in that short amount of time. So really we can work with just about anything, but those parameters, uh, we don't ask for stallions and we don't ask for anything that's, you know, can't walk on all fours right. coming through the gates, but no, we don't specifically ask for geldings. I mean, uh, versus mares. You don't or specify. Doesn't matter. Youth or old, or mm-hmm. I mean, if they're so old that that the percentage chance for the sanctuary or the rescue place goes down, that they can adopt them out. Maybe that's a pasture pet thing, and we don't really get involved in that. We're looking for behavioral challenges, and but we also have 
they could be a gentle horse that just needs a little, maybe it's got a little remedial issue. Remedial issues, yeah. Trailer, yeah. Yeah, ears or, you know, a little head shy or something like that. That can be great for a join-up class or an introductory, probably more like an introductory um, course of horsemanship. Mm-hmm. For those, those are great little moments to help with. You know, in the very beginning classes, we don't even work with the remedial, but if they've never done a join up before, they've never had the long lines on before, we'll just jump in there and start getting them to shape up and get ready for the first rider or maybe get back in shape Mm -hmm. for a rider. back in shape. Thank you for the reminder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some of them have been turned out in a pasture for a few years. You know, if an owner just isn't, you know, doesn't have the time for them anymore, Mm -hmm. we're trying to actually recycle them and get them back and repurpose mm-hmm. out into get the, them back the into circulation. That's it. That's it. Thanks yeah. for asking. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's a great relationship with the sanctuaries and the rescues and the, and the pop-up sanctuaries these days, you know, where suddenly a hoarder dies and uh, right. you know, there's kabam, there's 30 horses that need cared for. Um, right. yeah, yeah, that's it. Yep. Yeah. I think that's so. something a little bit unique about flags up farms in that so. the clinics that you do for students to observe or hands-on learn, mm-hmm. uh, so oftentimes you're using horses that really need a break in life. Yeah. Uh, versus using something that's been uh, purpose-bred or mm-hmm. some you know something that's already made, et cetera, et cetera, that in that you're really taking those horses that otherwise might not have a good long-term outlook and giving them and providing them as well as the student who works with them yeah. uh, a really good shot at a responsible and healthy future. That's, that's kind of cool. I didn't know that about flag is up when I first met you guys mm-hmm. and you guys would talk about doing the clinics and you'd have the join up clinic and the Monty special training clinic. I always assumed you just use your own horses. Maybe you had horses that were competitive and retired or horses that were in the competitive string, but appropriate for more beginner type riders to use. And then when I found out you just, no, no, we bring in horses that have fallen on hard times and they need, Mm -hmm. they need a leg up. And so the students need to learn. So it's a good match and like, kudos to you. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I I think that's the way we're headed with rescues and sanctuaries these days. We're trying to say, hey, they don't have to languish in a pasture. There are people across the United States who might be interested in this horse if they knew about it, first of all, and they could get it over to their place, second of all. And there are are organizations that are working on that part of it, but they kind of need us and people like us to get those horses shaped up so they can do that. And we want to be that on the, at least in the Western United States, for sure. it's kind of cool help. when you guys do that because yeah. you you take the horse's education right down to the very first step. So whatever learning that horse does while he's with your program before he goes on to his next forever home, there are no gaps. Mm-hmm. You don't just go, oh, look, he's he, he doesn't mind a saddle and a bridle. Go ahead and get on him. You know how a lot of times when we're l- working with remedial horses, we make the assumption that he knows simple things. When in mm-hmm. fact, you know, you get on later, you get further down the training, things go way bad. You can trace that back to the, some gap that was in the formative parts of their education. You start from that square one because you're teaching students who need to know that square one. Mm-hmm. And you can take That's those right. remedial horses right back to square one um, and create a good training history or fill in the gaps of one that has gaps so that mm-hmm. when he goes up to his human being that's going to be his forever human being, hopefully, mm-hmm. um, that human being can become familiar with your program because it's all right there on the university mm-hmm. and continue that's it uh, knowing it's, it's kind of like when you, when you hire somebody and you hire them with a college education and a degree in X, Y, or Z, because the college system is regimented, mm-hmm. you know what they learned. So you should, you should, yeah, you should have some baseline to you have a baseline. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the, the things that I appreciate the most about the education that they, they get there is that you really learn to assess a horse because mm. horses come in, they come in with a story from a human, mm-hmm. right? The human says, oh, this horse went through this, that, and the other thing. But the horse can tell you a better story, a more specific story, um, maybe even a different story in some mm-hmm. cases because sanctuaries, I'm not blaming anybody because sanctuaries and rescues just got a story too. Um, you know, they had the horse for two weeks maybe, and mm-hmm. they don't know either. But the, I really think one of the 
greatest talents that you learn there is to assess a horse and let the horse tell you what's going on. And there's lots of ways we do that with um, just gauging reactions, putting them through these different little exercises that we have. We have a gentling facility where we can safely uh, touch the horse all over, no kicking, no, you know, it's, you just have to kind of see it go online there and, and look at what we do. But um, or, or talk to somebody who's been a student through the program. But if you've got, if you can arm yourself with that, you're ahead of the game, ahead of a lot of trainers even who just can't, you know, if they have so many horses through a barn, they can't even take the time to, to learn to assess a horse, you know, and, uh, and they really want the horse to kind of be the middle of the target. And we can actually take the extremes of those things. And if a student can go through the extremes and then they go off and become their own training facility, no matter where they chose, what, what, discipline they choose they're better horsemen because of it all true and uh, that goes for guys as well as gals that was an interesting yep. turn our conversation took we didn't think it would start that way but interesting boys, just the same boys yeah yes and uh <laughs> if you go to monteroberts.com you can find a link to the university where you will also find all of these videos that we talk about can can folks still go in and sign up for a day pass if they've never seen any of the videos and they're curious i encourage that thank you for asking yes i encourage that because it, it was just such an when we built it in 2009 and started add to it there's over 500 lessons up there now but when we did that we thought nobody's going to understand what we're even talking about you know right. and so go on there uh, use the day pass as a promo code and and see what we're talking about there we go and i love the videos because you don't just watch the video there's a video and then there's a little quiz at the end to make sure you're paying attention yeah that's right. <laughs> and, question. And, and that's key because when I, sometimes when i watch the video i get to the quiz at the end and i get them all wrong and i'm going wait a minute i missed a lot i need to go back and watch again i watched the wrong lesson yeah i, I was yeah. busy i was busy watching the really adorable white socks on that pony instead of paying attention to what he was you know and so, that's okay. Yeah. There's like no penalty for There's that. There's no penalty. But, you um, can take it as many no times as you penalty. want. But I love you get a little rosette. You know, you, you get a little timeline then. And yeah. the more you get done, you get a little rosette for milestones and you get a certificate at the big milestones and you know it's just an encourager but there's no rules Monty doesn't look over your corner you know and say <laughs> no <laughs> no you will it's, not it's really miss recess you no. didn't yeah that's right if you want to take a break you could take a break that's right. there's no rules and they're in like little 10 minute segments the they're very short typically yes. you know somewhere around 10 minutes and so you can bite them off and and look at a series over a week or do it in a day or however you want to do it it's a real what we say in the horse business is choice-based way to learn too. there we go choice-based you can decide to watch the video on schooling with a dually halter there we go <laughs> and i think it's about time we start talking to the two wonderful fellows that are on our show this morning right after this from omega fields is your partner in sport, in leisure, and just in life. To keep him at his peak performance and optimal health, a solid nutritional foundation is key. Ideally, horses are able to graze fresh growing grasses, which most closely mimic their natural diet. But that may not always be possible, and we may need to supply some of those missing ingredients in today's diets and provide more functional foods. One component of a horse's diet that is often underfed are omega-3 fatty acids. While more prevalent in fresh forages, harvested forages are lower in omega-3 fatty acids due to their more advanced maturity. Obviously, grasses and legumes have to grow to a sufficient height in order to be harvested, while foraging patterns of horses show great preference for shorter, less mature plants. That's why modern horsemen and horsewomen trust Omega Horse Shine to provide a powerful, bountiful source of omega-3 fatty acids for their equine partners. Look for Omega Horse Shine from Omega Fields at your local tack and feed supplier, or you can find them online at omegafields.com. Kenny Lawson is a third-generation horse trainer whose greatest inspiration and influence was his father, Rob Tanner, a highly respected world champion horse trainer himself. Starting on American Saddlebreds, Kenny ultimately earned two world championships in Louisville, Kentucky, carrying on the family tradition that Kenny then taught his son and daughter to ride and win, too. Kenny is now the only professional trainer in California specializing in cowboy-mounted shooting, developing two horses that won the 2017 Cowboy Mounted Shooting World titles. 
Well, welcome, Kenny Lawson. So happy to finally get you on the show. How are you today? I'm great. I'm excited to be here. Well, we were, I heard about you first because you went over to Arizona. Now, you're in Vista, California, I believe, which is Southern California, pretty close to San Diego. Is that right? Pretty close. I'm actually in Valley Center, just about 20 yes. minutes west of Vista. Great, great. I knew a great horseman that uh, we had a lot of fun with, Joe Camp. Do you know Joe Camp? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. He's a nice guy. He moved to he left us though. He's a traitor. He, yeah. he moved to Tennessee. <laughs> but anyway, I heard that you went, I was told and I missed it. You went over to Arizona for the AHP, the American Horse Publications Conference, and you put on a little bit of a mounted shooting clinic. Am I right? Yes, I did. We went over, we had a really good time over there. It sounded like it. I had some friends that took you up on that uh, first day, I think, when everybody was getting there to do it. And they said, you made it easy. You made it fun. They felt like they could, you know, take this up as a, an avocation at some point, <laughs> which is a great, that's a great description for an instructor, I think. And, and I think that is a theme in your, in your bio and in your life that you do love to share with people. And I love that you have sort of a sage approach to this thing too. It isn't just, okay, mount your horse, here's a gun. You, you really think that horses make us better people. And there's a lot of philosophy that goes into your training. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, you know, I'll tell you a lot of people that get into horses. I think what they end up finding out is that they learn about a lot about themselves, about, what their strengths are in leadership and communication in relating to an animal that, you know, we can't speak to that we have to communicate through, you know, physical means or energy or pressure. Mm -hmm. And we learn a lot about ourselves and how we interact with a horse and, and how we develop our own leadership skills. And also where we're weak is maybe we don't provide the leadership or the direction um, and maybe things that we fear with a horse when we start, um, you know, and a lot of times I'll help people get involved with, they want to, they want to start their own horse. And so, you know, just understanding, you know, coming over those fears and developing that relationship and trust with your horse develops those same character traits in ourselves. Yeah, that's fantastic. Glad you thought of it too. I, I think that there's so much that, each horse person can take into their lives and all the people that they touch. But specifically speaking to mounted shooting training, is it like any other discipline or is it like parts of other disciplines? How do you, you've been, you've shown in other disciplines before. So how do you put it? Yeah. Well, you know, and I have a kind of a uniqueness in that I've, uh, I've done a lot of things from cult starting, um, you know, my, my entire life. And I was actually got in the horses, in the saddlebreds, which is American saddlebreds, which are show horses. Um, my dad was a real top trainer and I did some reining and then I even drove some standard breads. Um, so I have a kind of a uniqueness in, in as far as the areas I've touched in different disciplines. And to me, it always comes back to the fundamentals. If a horse is fundamentally sound and broke and you have control of all those five body parts in that horse, has a thinking mind, you can really do anything with it. We, we've done, we, when we got into mounted shooting, I actually started mounted shooting on my dressage horse, my Western dressage horse oh, wow. <laughs> that I was competing on. And we would go to a Western dressage competition on Saturday. And then Sunday we would load up and get our guns and we'd go do mounted shooting on Sunday. And, wow. you know, my, cool. my philosophy is a, a well-trained horse. You should be able to go and do anything with. And I I've tried to, always complete their training. I, and that's a lot of areas. I think we, we, we struggle in, in every discipline right now is that we just don't take the time to put the finished touches on the horse to where, you know, they're maybe at a different level. You know, we, we rush their training and a discipline to get them out there to show to, to, you know, to, to, uh, to advance them quicker than maybe they're ready for. And, and I think that that's, something that, you know, has been a little bit of a detriment in some respects, but, you know, mountain shooting is no different than any other discipline. It's all about how fundamentally strong your horse is, because Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter how good of a shot you are. If you can't ride your horse into position and track their feet where you can execute a shot, you're not going to hit the target. So, Mm -hmm. 
the fundamentals of, of getting that horse's feet and body in position are, are really strong. I've had a lot of people actually from dressage go into mounted shooting and thinking it would be easier and found out that it was in, in a lot of their opinions, it was harder to do because of the, there's such a variety. There's so many multiple things going on. And so it is a real, it's a very unique discipline for sure. Mm-hmm. Do, do they, when they say that they're uh, having more difficulty going from dressage to mounted shooting, is that because of their own aim or is that because of their horse, just <laughs> th- them not having the communication with the horse? Well, I think the speed is part of it. You know, okay. we, we, although we, we want impulsion in our horse and dressage, there, there's not the speed. So the, the way to ride with suggestion is, is a much, much bigger margin of, you know, of error there. Where I think in mounted shooting, because of the speed, you know, you have to form a pocket on the correct stride. You know, mm-hmm. if you go one stride too deep, you're too deep on your target. You cut it off too short. Maybe you flatten out your turn and you make the, the, maneuver difficult for your horse. And one of the things I always tell people is you don't want to put a point in your turn. It tangles up your horse's feet and it makes it difficult for them to do their job. So I, I talk a lot about that, but, but the preparation, and I'm certainly, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying one is harder than the other. I have ultimate respect for sure. all the horse disciplines and they're all beautiful. And, um, you know, I, I love, I can go watch it a hunter and jumper competition or, or grand prix or reigning competition or cow horse. I, I just, I love it all. Admire all the horse people that do any and everything with their horse. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Because anybody who's done multiple disciplines knows that they're not going to just say, Oh, that one must be easier. Cause that's about the time yeah. you get humbled. <laughs> um, that is very it, true. They, they have a tendency <laughs> to do that to us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, um, you said something about when you're working with your horse, you're you're looking for the spot that makes them the most comfortable. The horses are always looking for the spot that makes them the most comfortable. Expand on that a little bit and how your training works with that natural tendency. Well, and that, and that's for the entire body of the horse. Um, you know, when we 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 start to develop a horse, we want to train a horse from the front all the way to the back. So. You know, what, what, what I find a lot of horses that I get in training that have already been started and been out there working is that they, they're argumentative in their face. They, mm-hmm. they think the bit's something to argue. And, and so a lot of that is man-made. We, we, you know, we get too quick with our hands. We make a horse defensive in their mouth and in their pull. And, you know, I like to slow that all way down. You know, you, you can't have a soft horse if you don't have soft hands. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you can't pull on your horse, but it's how you do it. And I think that, you know, taking that horse slowly and letting them understand that that pressure is a way for us to work together, not something to defend themselves against, mm-hmm. um, is, is a way that you can develop a horse and keep the mind quiet and keep them in a learning state of mind. Um, if we put a horse in a defensive state, we ask too much too quick, we pull too hard, too fast to where that, you know, they, they, feel either panic or anxiety or a sense to defend themselves, we untrain them very quickly. And I think in speed events, you know, cause I come from a very formal background, you know, and framing that horse and, you know, riding them with soft hands and in, in the show horse industry. And what I find with speed events is people get quick, tend to get mm-hmm. quicker with their hands, quicker with their legs, and they're actually hindering the horse rather than helping the horse. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I'm a big believer in, in slow and correct. And uh, I mean, 90% of what we do with our mounted shooting horses, our top national and world champions, we do, it's all slow work every day. We do body positioning, get the hip to the inside and the turns. We want softness in the pole. When we pick it up, we want that softness to get into their feet. We want, you know, want to do things slowly where the horse knows where we want them to be. And Mm -hmm. so what I mean by that is if we slow down, our horse can find us. Our horse can find where we want them to carry their head, where we want their shoulders, their hips, their hindquarters to be. And if we're if we're working too fast, our horse can never find us. Mm-hmm. Well said. That's beautiful. And I'm hearing you say very incremental. And I'm I'm hearing in the arena very quiet and developed ways of communicating with your horse. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. I. I speak a lot when I do clinics and things and in my own students, 
about leading the horse through the pattern, you know, keeping your hand forward and, and just showing the horse the maneuver you're looking for rather than, you know, bringing that hand position back into their feet, you know, tangle them up a little bit, you know, just keeping that hand forward and allowing that horse to be led through the pattern. We, it's so interesting working with riders and how we inadvertently hinder our horse's ability to perform a maneuver. We think that we're helping them. Sometimes we just need to get out of their way and let them be an athlete, show it to them, support in the body and the feet and allow that horse to find their balance. And sometimes we, we do too much and it just hinders the horse's ability to perform. Mm. I, you know, I, I had interviewed a, a jockey not too long ago, completely different industry, right? Thoroughbred racing. He sure. said almost the same thing. I try to get out of the way of the horse rather than, than distract him by being, you know, present up there. So, um, I, I love that. I, I think it's, it, it actually makes me feel calm just to hear you say it, which is really good. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I've heard you say that you want, you want to find a want in your horse that, a, that a great trainer is is finding the one in the horse, not just making the horse do something, which I think is is emotionally what you were just describing in the training part of that as well. Yes. You know, I, I think allowing a horse to have a curiosity for it to be okay to make a mistake, especially a young horse. I mean, you know, my dad used to tell me, he said, you know, you correct to the infraction of what the horse is done. You know, you help the horse make the right decision. And I, I, oftentimes I I see people overcorrecting their horse when they've done something minor wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I think the consistency of just allowing that horse to find the correct way to do a maneuver and and repetition and rewarding that is a better way to go. You know, you you just, I tell you, sometimes these horses, we we put them up on the muscle and, and we put them in a you know, they can't do anything wrong, uh, right position. And mm-hmm. I, I think that you really hinder a horse's development. They get, they quit. I want a mm-hmm. horse to want to try. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you know, you reward the slightest try of your horse. If mm-hmm. a horse is trying to do the right thing, they might not be mastering it, but if they're trying to work with you there, you, you just keep it slow and you let them find you. Absolutely. And, you know, you keep, you yeah. stay consistent, you, you, you know, whether you're doing a lateral release or disengaging the hindquarters, you know, any of those just basic maneuvers that we want to engage their feet, they, they, they'll they start to look for you if you're consistent and slow. Mm. Mm. Very good. So now we, we feel calm and I, and I imagine your incremental training going on. Now we're going to add speed and guns to the scenario, <laughs> which is going to break my mood a little bit on all this, but, <laughs> but how do you, so now we got to compete and tell me how speed uh, is, is okay with the horse at that point. Now, uh, are you looking for just a super fast quarter horse and that just naturally is going to take its place? Or are you looking for a horse who really understands that there is a time pressure going on? Well, a horse needs an emotional build to understand the pressure of moving out. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think, you know, I, I, I think this, industry is a little distinctive. I mean, you, you know, you hear about this barrel racing mentality, these horses get, or this kind of thing, not necessarily in our sport, but you know, I, I, I think to keep it, you, you need to develop the thinking start of that horse, that horse just, you know, engaged its mind. And I think you bring the speed on slow when, when it's, I call it artificial speed. In other words, when someone comes to put a horse on a pattern, if all of a sudden you see the legs kicking the horse, I, I'm, I don't train that way. I don't teach that way. I want to just, I want to put some pressure on my horse and squeeze and let that horse is, uh, energy and speed increase organically, naturally, mm-hmm. let the speed come naturally. And in my opinion, you need to do it slowly to do it correctly. Otherwise you blow the horses up. If you just put them out there and you just start, you know, asking them too quick and, and too much quick pressure, um, you know, I, I'm just someone, I don't really believe in kicking a horse. I've never mm-hmm. thought that, I mean, I, I think it makes a horse defensive in the rib cage. I'm not mm-hmm. saying there's never a need to kind of bump them or something, but I want a horse to understand when I squeeze, I'm asking for impulsion. That impulsion mm-hmm. might be a more collected canter. That might be sending a horse, you know, full speed, full stride opened up down the arena. Um, but I want 
you know, well-educated horse is going to understand that. And um, so I want that speed just to organically happen naturally over a period of time. And, and that period changes for every horse. You know, some horses, they just are naturally a little quieter minded. So, you know, you can, you can go ahead and give them that kind of pressure. They understand it, they accept it, they absorb it, and they're okay with it. Other horses that are quick minded, they're zero to 60 really fast. You've got to go slower with them because it, those are the kind of horses I think if you're not careful, you can ruin them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you put too much on them too quick and they emotionally cannot stay with you. You know, they get blown up and, and you've got to know what, what, what you're, you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So you developed two horses that won the 2017 Cowboy Mounted Shooting World titles. What did you see in those horses or what did they develop that was made them over the top champions? Well, you know, I'd like to say I knew the first day I started them, they were going to be champions, but I really Mm -hmm. didn't. They were both horses I broke to ride and, um, one actually a client owned. And, um, you know, about a year later, we ended up acquiring the horse through a trade. And, um, the other one I'd actually bought and thought it would make a nice little pony for my kids to learn to ride on (laughs) and had no idea it would go on and have the ability that it had. Um, and, um, you know, they, I I think until you give a horse a chance to develop, you really don't always know where they're going to end up. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, you'd like to say as a horse trainer, yeah, I saw the talent in that horse and and you can, I mean, you can see the athleticism, you can, you know, get an idea of fooling with them a little bit, what you think they're capable of, but until you put the time and the work in, you really don't know you know, where that horse's final, you know, peak is going to be. Obviously, they've got to be athletic to be able to do this. And, you know, both these horses were gifted athletically, uh, but they had the mind and, and everything else to go along with it. Mm-hmm. Well, the big elephant left in the room then is guns going off. <laughs> how, do you, how do you train to the sound? Is that one of the first questions people usually ask? I don't know. Yeah, you know, we we obviously get a lot of that, and um, you know, I, again, like I do everything else, it's it's about doing it slow, and you know, we just don't pick a gun up and start shooting on their back. Yeah, um, you know, they they say you can shoot on every horse one time. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I I typically, you know, we we shoot here at my training facility, and so they get acclimated just being around it. But, you know, some horses take to it quicker than others. And, you know, you train them where they're at. So if you're shooting 100 feet away and and that's too much for them, well, then you go another 100 feet away. You know, you keep going to where you find your starting point. And um, if it's a mile away, you go a mile away. You know, I'm (laughs) being facetious. But, you know, you go to where that horse can, can accept that energy, you know, that noise. And then you work closer from there. Then you work in and out of that range and you bring the range closer. And then eventually you work your way up on their back. Now, once we get to kind of that point, I like to actually use horses that are real quiet to the guns to, to, to help because they feed off that other horse's yeah, energy. Companion so if, horse, if, you mean? Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that. And I, what I'll do a lot of times too is I, you know, I think the biggest mistake people do though, when they get to the point they can shoot on their back, they'll shoot on their back, but they're kind of holding their face. And I, I don't believe in doing that. I want to oh, let a horse good. move when a horse yeah. can move, you know, being a prey animal, their, their ability to move away from what bothers them gives them confidence and security and decreases their anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I might go to the round pen. I might, you know, shoot off of a horse that's still a little bothered and I let them move. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't inhibit their ability to move. If they feel the need to move away, um, I let them do that. I think the more you hold a horse and, yeah. and try to control them while you're getting them gun broke, I think the more anxiety you put into them and the longer it takes to get it, get the job done. Great. 
Agreed. I, I think that even is in leading or anything else that you're having, mounting block, it, anything. I think if you can let them make their own choices, too, I, I totally agree with you. And it is the flight mechanism. It's that the ability to express that in them actually does make them more confident. Very good. I, I that's a wonderful statement. Probably the best statement we can make around horses these days because we do see a lot of people feeling nervous and restrict the horse, which actually does the opposite effect of what they're trying to do. And I, I would like to see people, there, there's two things in our conversation today that I think are so important. And one is that I think that statement of letting the horse express himself and then naturally come along slowly and incrementally, genius. Thank you, Kenny, for that. Uh, the second thing is I would love to get broke out of our lexicon. Maybe you'll be one of our our, our guinea pigs on that one. Um, I know it's just a traditional old statement, but I don't think what I just heard you just say, I don't think you break horses. I think you actually start horses. And that might be something that someday we can kind of get rid of, which would be great. You're absolutely right. I, I like that you said that. And that is what we do. Mm-hmm. I'm we sure. We start horses and we, we educate them. And I, in 2014, I had the honor of uh, being one of the cult starters in the Horseman's yes. Reunion, yeah. which is a real honor for me. Yes, I saw that too. Yeah, and congratulations on that. And keep that going. I'd love to have you back and hear about how you're doing. And maybe we get something together for um, a, a mounting lesson somewhere in your area in Valley Center or um, up at Flag is Up Farms in Solving. I'd love to do it. Your Silver Dollar Ranch is something, a website that people should visit. What What is the website? Just is it silverdollarranch.com? It, that's correct, silverdollarranch.com. And how do people get a hold of you? Well, they can they can reach me through my my webpage or they can call me direct. Okay. Do, do you want to leave an email or a phone number? It's up to you. I'll, I could leave both if that's okay. Um, okay. My email is, is uh, Kenny at thesilverdollarranch dot com and just spell it all out at thesilverdollarranch dot com. And is it okay if I leave my phone number? Please do. It's up to you. <laughs> okay. You got it. Seven six zero eight zero five. 6061. Good. And we'll put it in the show notes too, so people can reach you. And I would love to have you back. I'd love to take a lesson sometime too. So I'm gonna have to put some girlfriends together and have some fun with you, Kenny. And your your wife, Leanne, and your children are all part of your business, which I just love. It's a family affair. And I hope people come and get to know you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kenny. Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting. Some are stories of challenges, and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. Rick Clifford was born in Panama City, Florida in 1950, but his family moved to Los Angeles shortly after that. The California beaches fostered Rick's love of outdoor adventures and surfing, helicopter skiing, skydiving, and sailboat racing, too. He was a wilderness guide in Wyoming and spent a few years serving on the volunteer Santa Barbara County search and rescue team. Rick had a 30-year career as a security systems engineer with travel to troubled spots like uh, Iraq and Afghanistan in support of the U.S. military. As retirement approached, Rick decided to take up horseback riding to share the experience with his life partner, Terry, who wanted to return to her love for horses after giving them up to pursue a career and raise three children. Now Rick and Terry spend every day together riding and caring for their four horses and loving the horse-centered lifestyle in the beautiful San Inez Valley of Central California. 
Well, welcome. Today we have a special little episode here. We, we, we're we going to call it sort of the men's room. And that's, I mean that in a really exciting way because we have two men that are into horses and really don't understand what the big fuss is about because they love horses. And actually they're taking over the sort of horse position in the family. Well, one is Monty Roberts and we know that Pat Roberts has been involved in horses. Hi, dad. Hello. You okay? <laughs> and then, yeah, everything's going great. Now that we've got you all on the lines now, it's it'll be fun. We have a couple here, Rick and Terry. And uh, Terry has uh, always loved horses, and Rick got her a horse. And then Rick sort of came into the horse world after that. And Rick is, let's just say, we're of retirement age now. Yeah. And can do that kind of thing. Hi, Rick. Hello. Hello. So I, we would love to w- celebrate First of all, that there are men left in the horse industry. <laughs> there are so many women involved in the recreational, certainly, side of the horse industry and pretty much pervasively uh, throughout the industry anymore. And you know, here at Horsemanship Radio, we advocate for keeping horses in people's lives. And I don't care if that's a pasture pet or a giddy up and go, but uh, we'll take them all and all the disciplines and championships too. But, but I wanted to have dad talk to you a little bit today, Rick, about why you got into horses uh, in retirement age and what you love about horses. And I'd like him to encourage you today. And maybe there'll be some listeners out there who feel like there is a pathway to having horses later in life and a really good reason too. Okay. Well, I'll start out by saying that I reject the term retirement age. Okay. I, I don't I don't know that there is a specific retirement age. Maybe the government has one, I suppose, but um uh, what do you consider Rick as retirement age? Doing what you want to do. Hey, that's cool. I like that answer. Yeah. Uh, Because it's not really retirement then, is it? You're doing something. No, actually, with our four horses, I'm uh, busy from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. And as you know, it's one thing after another. And it's extremely rewarding, and I can't wait to wake up every morning. What about the guy you hired to muck out? That's that's the same guy that uh, pays oh. for the hay and <laughs> the vet bill. That's me. Okay, perfect. Well, you know, I mean, seriously, I have talked with now millions of people who are married couples. And uh, when I was a child, and I have lived through this metamorphosis, when I was a child, uh, I showed horses Every weekend, it was incredible what I've been through. But um, if there was a class of 30 individuals in the junior division through the 40s, 28 of them were boys and two were girls. Right after the Second World War, the boys just got into horses incredibly. And motorcycles and computers and so forth and so on hadn't come around really yet. and the two girls were sort of uh, tomboys, and they rode horses. And I've watched this thing evolve to the extent that today, if there's 30 youngsters in a competition, 28 of them are girls and two are boys. And the boys are off doing something else. But, I mean, it is serious that this horse industry is is hurting in so many ways for the lack of testosterone i'm i'm an example of encouraging men to get into horses because there are so many things that we can learn from them and as you know i you probably know i do the clinics for post traumatic stress and yeah. uh, in in those clinics uh, here we go again it's 30 men and two women and the men come out of there and they often go into horses one way or another and i could go on and on about those stories but what made you decide to go into horses and become involved in them well it was um we were talking about retirement and i wanted terry to to have some occupation the kids were all gone so it's kind of an empty house 
and she always talked about her horse, Banachek, she had for eight years before she focused on her career and having kids. And so to a friend of ours who lived here in the valley, um, introduced the two when some, you know, things evolved and ended up buying Terry a horse, an uh, Arab gelding. And then I was doing my things on the weekend, and she was doing her horse things on the weekend, and we were going separate ways and working in corporate America Monday through Friday. And then on the weekends, you're going our separate ways. And I was going, this isn't working for me. <laughs> so I said, what are we going to do? And she goes, why don't you learn to ride a horse? And I went, really? I knew nothing about horses. I grew up in Newport Beach, surfer and sailing. So at the local barn here, um, I started to take some lessons once a week and thought, that's not going to work. I'm not going to learn to ride once a week. So I went to twice a week and said, this is not going to work. I need my own horse. So one thing led to the next, to the next, to the next. And that was about four and a half years ago um, when we were planning for retirement. And I started to learn about the horse culture, especially up here in the valley. I realized it's pretty much an all-in effort. So uh, we decided to go all in. And I was seeing people that were not going all in with horses and they're having just not a satisfactory experience. So I do everything now. I, I feed them, I groom them, I even do their hooves, um, give them their medicine. So it's been extremely rewarding. And like I said, it's something I look forward to every morning to get up at dawn and go feed them. That's that's great. And uh, since we're so close here, uh, I would be the first to invite you to come and speak to our courses, get involved with with me wherever you want to in terms of what I'm doing while I'm here in California anyway. Um, I, I would love to promote you as that example of what can happen. My... my uh, logistics, if you will, uh, involve ladies that were with horses as a youngster and then come back after children or a job. And, uh, it's, it's around 50, 52 or so that probably is bullseye to the people that come back into horses and it might as well be men too. And, um, the horses need us. Uh, they need attention that men can give them. And, uh, it's a great, a great way to, to go into retirement and can be enjoyed by both men and women. And, uh, too many men have gone off, uh, in different directions. So I'd be delighted if you could come around more and sure. get to know you. Sure. There, there's the other aspect of it where, um, it really is contributes to a strong relationship between the man and the woman to do something together uh, that you have some passion and interest in. You know, there's a lot of men who drag their wife along to go sailing or camping or something like that, and then the wife drags the man along to <laughs> go horseback riding. And if you can stimulate the interest uh, in both of them, I mean, it's, it's, it's really good. It's a wonderful thing to experience and sharing that. And I think you're right. I think that if you can get the men who have a woman in their life that is, you know, passionate about horses to, to take the step and help them get over the fear. And, you know, it's, it's a fear of your ego, Monty. It's, sure. um, you have to drop your ego, leave it outside the ranch and open your mind and just say, teach me. And I'm, I'm not, you know, Roy Rogers or, or you or any other kind of guys. I'm just Joe average, but I can learn to do this. And that's a rewarding part too. It's rewarding to learn to do something like this at this stage in life as well. Um, like well, you said, there's no retirement. It's a laudable encouragement that you have for men. And, you know, um, men often think that they have to be the winner, you know, the physical winner. And uh, when horses were done with violence, uh, men stayed in the front, and women didn't like that situation. 
But I think that I have brought to this world of horsemanship the realization that violence isn't the answer and uh, a more compatible relationship between man and woman can happen when horses are dealt with in a compassionate way and in a way which is communication rather than domination. And uh, so maybe you and I could uh, enhance this theory right around the world. Yeah, yeah. And and you, you said exactly. Not only does it enhance your personal self, it also enhances your ability to have a relationship because like you are the promoter of, and I'll tell you about this in a second, but you have to listen. You have to listen to the horse. You have to start to understand the horse. You just can't brute force ask the horse to do something. I mean, I'm sure you can. I don't know anything about that because that's not how um, our relationship is with our horses. But once you learn to kind of give yourself up a little bit and start looking at the other person and said, what, what are they expecting? What cues are I, am I giving them? And it, it goes back to your original book, which somebody gave me right when I started doing this. We saw a TV show, I think it was called Heartland from Canada, where the oh, little yeah. girl was, was, there was two women there that these young girls were training horses, and one used the brute force way, the old school way. And this young girl, who was a star of the show, was doing a join-up. And, and we watched the show, and this is like the first time I've ever seen that. I'm like, wow, look at that. And then somebody says, yeah, this guy, this guy, Monty Roberts lives in Santa Barbara. You know, he's the join up guy. And I really, and they got me your book. And so I read your book and that was the first time I was ever exposed to the idea of listening to the horse and not just brutalizing it and, and try to create a more synergistic relationship with the horse. And that's wonderful. So, yeah, so that was the, the first time I've been to a couple of your um, clinics here, helping Don with videography and cause I know something about cameras. And so, yeah, that, that was an important part of, well, you say it all the time, listening to the horse and not just demanding your expectations and your way of thinking onto the horse, let the horse talk back to you. And then you can be, it's just really made it a much more rewarding experience um, with wow. our horses. So Well, that's um, great to hear, and you'd be interested to know that my 2018 theory or the advance of a saying that is for 2018 is that a good trainer can make a horse do almost anything he wants him to, but the great trainer can cause the horse to want to do it. There you and go. When when you go to work because you want to, you will do a better job than if you're going to work because you have to. And uh you and I have both probably been in both of those situations. Mm-hmm. Um work that we loved to do and wanted to go to and work that we did because we had to. And uh, I like the love to a lot better than the have to. Yeah. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of a, a lot of men, um, in you get to this stage of the 50 something, you know, and you finally have a little bit of money in your bank. If your kids are going off on their own and you're kind of looking for something to give you some, um, energy and passion as your hair gets gray, you know, and you can't move like you used to and et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, horses is one of those things that play into that really well. And my past experience was I had motorcycles. I raced sailboats in Newport beach for most of my life, all this kind of mechanical inert stuff, but then having to do a similar type activity endeavor where you're challenged and then have the thing you're working with, think it's for itself and talk back to you was such, (laughs) it was, it was, um, I'm trying to put the words around it. It was such a revelation. It was so intriguing and so interesting to build this bond and relationship with the horse. You know, the motorcycle has a, has a throttle and brakes and sailboat has sails and lines and all this stuff, but you don't have any that in the horse. You've got to work together with them to do what you want to do and do it safely. Um, and that's what I learned. And part of that was the initial, like I said, initially, is the um, is is the join up stuff you did and and not brutalizing the horse but listening to him that was really an important part that set this path going 
that's so rewarding um, after four and a half years. Well, it would be my hope that this broadcast would go out to the world of horsemanship and that many, many men would be encouraged to follow your recommendation for yeah. them to become at one with a horse and find yeah. a safe place for the horse to be and a safe place for them to be with their partner. Uh, it's laudable. I, I just love it. Yeah, it's really it's really magical, especially this time of year when we go up in the hills, those padres and the poppies are blooming, the grass is all green, and you just sit there. It's it's pretty magical. The horses, yeah, with the horses, you know, it's pretty magical. Yeah, we so. just got to get through this drought here in Santa Barbara County, and uh, <laughs> get the poppies back again where they used to be, because there's uh, a lot fewer of them. And I'm working on that by producing some seed on here on the farm. And uh, I want to see you. I want you to come around and, and get to know what what I stand for and and reach out to the world of horsemanship to include men a lot more than they have been. Yeah, yeah. That sounds, that sounds great. That sounds great. I have one question for you, Rick, that I'd love to uh, flesh out a bit. I heard that you're doing some riding over at the Alisal Guest Ranch as a, are you a dude over there? Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I heard about um, some, they need wranglers over at the Alisal Ranch to handle the hundred horses they have there and to um, take the guests out on trail rides. And nothing I love more than going out in the trails. I ride trails three to four days a week, either with Terry or, or solo with my horse. And um, I thought, I might as well give it a try and see what it's like and, and learn what that's about. And then, um, you know, it's fun to talk to people who are, who are new to it or getting on a horse is something that they've never done before. So I went over there and did an interview, which is you go ride and handle <laughs> the horses, and it worked out okay. So I'm, I'm going to start working as a wrangler. My first day is actually tomorrow. And, wow. um, and to help and help them out there at the Alisol, which three, three days a week, you know, part time. So I'm pretty excited about that. Oh, that's but, super. That is really yeah. super. And yeah. I've known quite a few of the Wranglers out there, and it is a a great job because you get to meet great people, super people that come and uh, go on those rides, and it'll it'll just be fantastic for you from a sociological standpoint as well as from a physical standpoint keep you in shape and, and with animals that, uh, you can love. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, those horses are pretty amazing. They're so broke, you know, and they're so calm and, and they just you put people on them and they just go on the trail and it's beautiful out there right now. And it, it, what, you're right. It's really interesting to talk to the people from, they come from everywhere to go to Alisol. I've heard yeah. I'll find out yeah. more of course, but, um, it's, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be, I think a really enriching experience. Well, I think you'll find some really good experiences from it and some great friends from it. And uh, it would be nice if you keep Debbie posted and and maybe have some uh, ongoing interviews with the people that come there and find that they loved what they experienced at the Awasal. It's a fine institution. I first met it in 1946, right after the Second World War. Yeah, they had horse shows there and they drove uh, me down at that time I was 11 and I showed to about three different places along here and Alice L was one of them and I remember it so well uh, it was a fantastic experience and the family is now I think in the fourth generation at the Alice L. Uh, yeah, it's a, a very positive place so yeah 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 well, good. Well, I'm so glad that you were able to share today. And, and I know you guys have met barely, but I, I hear a friendship starting to shape up here, too. And horses are the reason. So I love it. And I think most women listening to this are grabbing their um, headphones and taking it over to their husband now and sticking those ear pods in <laughs> and want to listen to this podcast to encourage their husbands, too. Because what a great thing well, to do. And I- I'm afraid yeah. that I just looked over and saw a guy behind a camera, but I didn't know who I was looking at. So That's right. Rick has been our second camera. 
Exactly. And he's going to be out here helping us with the movement, which by the time this posts, I think the movement will have happened. So you guys will know each other better. But uh, yeah, he's going to be helping us volunteer. And so is his wife, Terry, who we'll have on here sometime, too, because she's an important part of this equation and uh, and the one who encouraged Rick. So nothing better than that. So so I appreciate you both being on Horsemanship Radio today and taking a little time with us and uh, encouraging all men to stay into horses. Thank you for including yeah. me. This is Monty saying thank you very much. All right. Nice, nice speaking with you, Monty. Thank you. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the language of the Dear Monty, I have just acquired a nice seven-year-old ex-racehorse thoroughbred mare. She is very sane, quiet, and also seven months pregnant. My problem is that she does not like to be groomed. She will pin her ears back and threaten with her back legs. She gnashes her teeth and attempts to bite when I brush her. Help! Monty's answer. It is inspiring that you're working with an ex-race horse and it's vitally important that these horses are given the chance to retrain and be useful partners after their racing careers are over. Please be aware that many ex-race horses have become wonderful pleasure horses and even champions in competition. If you have ever seen racehorses being groomed at the track, you will notice that the horses are tied very short and high on the back wall of a box stall. One can easily imagine how this process might create a horse that is highly resentful of being groomed. The concepts inherent in the language equus are based upon the premise of always giving the horse the power to choose. Horses will react to any given procedure according to their level of comfort throughout the experience. It is important to realize that thoroughbred horses are inherently thin-skinned and sensitive to the touch. This may not be extreme for many of them, but I can assure you that it's critical to a high percentage. At the racetrack, professional grooms tend to disregard this sensitivity, tether them high on the wall, and groom harshly while standing in a position where they can't be kicked or bitten. My suggestion to you is that you change your grooming habits dramatically. Give a lot of baths and eliminate the brushing. Use a cloth to rub your horse's body when the hair is dry after a bath. Repeat the process with the cloth many times that the horse comes to know that the grooming process can be painless. If you can do join up and cause the horse to want to be with you, this will be valuable. You'll form a closer relationship with your horse, which will assist you in stopping her aggressive behavior towards you. I also recommend schooling to the dually halter so that you can create a horse that knows the value of standing still. School with the dually, backing your horse up when she is negative and leaving the dually alone when she's positive. These remedial problems can be a lot of fun to work with if you take up the challenge and learn the language of your horse and create an attitude within your mind that you will work with her in the absence of pain and violence. We should be ever mindful of the fact that sensitive horses are often the high achievers. They tend to respond to our directions more quickly and generously than horses that lack sensitivity. This is not a major problem to overcome when you get your work right and respond to your horse in a respectful manner. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum, and there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. And that is July 23 through the 3rd of August. Uh, we've got a Gentling Wild Horse course coming up at Flag Gazette Farms. And then shortly after that, we've got August 6 through 10. That's the Monty's Special Training at Flag Gazette Farms in California. Looks like the summer will be spent in beautiful Northern mm-hmm. California. 
Horsey Country. Horsey yeah. Country. And if you did not commit all of that to memory, you can find it online and that and so much more at MontyRoberts.com. Or you can give Flag is Up Farms a call. The phone number is 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com, episode number 114. And there you will find links, photos, and more information about our wonderful guests. And we love your feedback. Help us make this show better. Help us make it more interesting. Help us make it more entertaining. Follow Monty on Facebook. Search for Monty Roberts. Click on the one that says Monty Roberts with a little blue check mark. That's the official one. And you can put suggestions right there. You can also follow Monty on Twitter. His handle is Monty underscore Roberts. And don't miss any of the shows on the Horse Radio Network. Download the free app for your Android or iPhone. Go to your app store, search Horse Radio Network, and download it. It's free and easy to use. Or you can also subscribe via iTunes. Don't forget to give us a rating there and tell everybody how wonderful we are. We need more stars. Or you can follow us on your favorite podcatcher. Yeah, that's right. For all those phones and things, devices. Many thanks to our sponsors, too. Omega Fields, Cavallo Horse and Rider, and MontyRobertsUniversity.com. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on the Horse Radio Network that we were just talking about. And that's at www.HorseRadioNetwork.com. But until next time, have many happy horse hours. (laughs) 